0: Hey everyone, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge and we are here at part three of our series on microphones. And in today's episode, we're going to go over some common myths and misconceptions about microphones. So let's get started. Number one it costs a lot of money to get a nice microphone. This is not always true. There are some amazing microphones at virtually any price point, and there are some really bad microphones at pretty much any price point. Okay, just like with anything else, price is really only what people will pay for it. That doesn't mean something is inherently good or bad. Price is also heavily determined by the factors of production. How big is the company? How many microphones do they produce? How many employees do they have? What channels of distribution do they have? You know, how what how what contracts with companies for parts do they have? How are those deals negotiated? I mean, there are so many factors. And yes, as much as we all don't want to talk about it, companies like Neumann or Schur. They've been around a long time, and they can charge a little bit more for their products because they know they're a trusted name in microphones. I mean, that's just how it is. That's how everything is, right? Like, the name brands can charge more. But that is not saying that they are necessarily the best microphones. They both make fantastic products, but we all know of smaller boutique companies that do great work. The point is that it does not always cost a lot of money. Now, I will say that, of course, is a relative term, $1,000 to one person is a ton of money and it's not that much money to someone else. I will say everybody that I have mentored through audio, either interns or friends or students or podcast listeners, many of them, <laughs> the longer they do this, the more they realize how much of a money pit audio can be. And I mean, yes, there's a lot of money in the game for me. Like, I have invested a ton of my money into audio gear, microphones, outboard gear, instruments, my room... All this stuff, and it's just part of the game, you know? It's kind of like working on vintage cars or restoring cars. It's like, man, it's just an expensive hobby. Like, it's an expensive thing. And, I mean, yes, that does prevent people from getting into it beyond a certain point, but it's just part of the nature of the beast, you know? You don't have to spend a bunch of money. If you want to, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. So, like, dynamic microphones, for example. They're generally cheap to produce. They don't have very many parts. They're also easier to sell because they can not only be used for studio work, but also for live work, newscasting, sportscasting, theaters, churches, pretty much anywhere that has a PA system. So, I mean, it's simple economics for that. It's like cost of production is low, demand is high, the market is vast, the product can be cheaper. Ribbon microphones are, again, simple designs with few parts, but their production is more nuanced. It needs careful attention to detail and their market is not as wide, right? Because the elements within a ribbon mic are more fragile, they do require a skilled operator that needs to be paid well. Uh, They're generally more expensive than dynamic mics, but not as expensive as high-end condensers. Condenser mics are sold anywhere from $50 to $50,000 or $100,000, and it's kind of hard to know what makes a condenser mic worth it. They're definitely the most complex type of microphone, requires a lot more circuitry, a lot more parts than any of the other types, but does it really make sense that you have to spend $5,000 to get a good condenser? I mean, not really. I kinda look at it like a bell curve distribution. Cheap condenser mics probably aren't worth it because they don't sound that great, they use cheap parts, they have high noise, again, not great sound quality, lower lifespan, can't really be repaired. But I would argue that the super expensive mics probably aren't worth it either because they're over-inflating the value. They're overinflating the cost of production. I mean, you can build a near-identical copy of a Neumann U47 for about $3,000. Now, of course, that doesn't include the time and the expertise and the labor and all that. But again, you could go buy vintage parts and build that mic for about $3,000. But if you wanted to get one Fully intact, working, vintage U47. That's gonna cost you like ten to twenty thousand dollars. And making a U forty seven with modern replacement parts would only cost you about a thousand dollars, maybe fifteen hundred. So I would say that somewhere in the middle is probably where the answer is starting about maybe five hundred dollars all the way up to maybe four thousand dollars that to me seems like reasonable price range for condenser mics that makes sense with the means of production below five hundred dollars you're probably going to be dealing with cheaper lower quality parts not always but some most of the time i think you are they're not going to be as reliable the parts are going to be made in china they're going to have higher noise and above $4,000 or so, you're mostly just gonna be paying for the name. If you're paying between $1,000 and $3,000 on a microphone, chances are it's going to be pretty good, okay? Most of my favorite condenser microphones are in this range, the ones I use most often, like the Sound Deluxe U99. I love this microphone. I use it on tons of vocalists. I use it on acoustic instruments. It's a killer overhead mic. It's $2,500. Okay. It's a very, what I would consider mid priced, but like still high end microphone. Okay. Another great microphone is the Wunder CM67. Now, that is probably the most expensive microphone that I own. Uh, now, I didn't buy it for this, but I think now they're around $4,000. I think I paid $3,100 for it. So I would consider that, at least at the time, uh, a, a very sort of upper-mid priced microphone. Would I pay $5,000, $4,000 for another one? <sighs> I don't know. Probably not, honestly. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just buy another U99. But I do love that microphone. Obviously, there are always going to be exceptions to this rule, but in general, I have found over 15 years of recording music somewhere in the middle, you know, not the cheapest bargain basement stuff, and not the overinflated stuff somewhere in that range is going to get you a pretty reliable product,, uh, whether it's, you know, you know, for condensers at least, you know, like dynamics, they're not that expensive anyway. Ribbons, they're in that sort of mid price range. But just look for the middle, right? Look for the middle of whatever range you're looking for, and you'll probably find some of the best stuff. If you look at the highest end of that distribution, you look at the lowest, Probably stuff you don't necessarily want to mess with to get something really reliable and worth it. All right, number two, ribbon mics are fragile. This is a very commonly misunderstood topic. Now, yes, the ribbon element itself is very fragile, much more than a condenser capsule, but ribbon microphones are made with this in mind. They often employ multiple layers of protection like windscreens, mesh. And again, careful tensioning and corrugation of the ribbon itself. They're fragile in the sense that they're very sensitive to air blasts. They're not necessarily sensitive to level, right? Like, you can use a ribbon mic on a loud, blaring guitar amp, and it's fine. Or a loud, blaring trumpet, and it's fine. But if you put it in front of the hole on a kick drum and a big air blast hits that ribbon, it could snap. Okay, so that's a commonly misunderstood thing, that they are sensitive to volume, but instead they're more sensitive to air, okay? So when in doubt, use a pop filter, right? That will really help reduce the amount of air that actually hits that ribbon element. Number three, ribbon mics are damaged by phantom power. This is not always true, okay? Most of the time when people talk about this, it's about the arcing of phantom power that can cause damage to ribbon mics. And what I mean is, say you have your mic preamps on a patch bay and you use a quarter inch, you know, TRS cable to go from snake into mic pre. And let's say that mic pre has phantom power turned on. As you insert that cable into the patch bay, that phantom power will arc across another terminal of that cable. This is one of the reasons I don't set my patch bays up this way, because I don't ever want to arc phantom power onto the wrong pin. So the way I have it set up is I run all of my live room snake channels directly into mic preamps, and those come up on the patch bay. So I can't arc Phantom Power to the wrong pin because all I'm dealing with is XLR cables in the other room. And so the XLR pins are all separate from each other. I can't make them touch each other. You can only insert an XLR cable one way. Uh, You insert the cable, it goes into the preamp, right? That saves me a step. It saves me a lot of cabling. Uh, If you want some more info on this, you can check out my video on patch bays on my YouTube channel. But just be aware that not every ribbon mic out there is going to be damaged by phantom power. But some of them can be. Uh, Most of the time, they're talking about arcing phantom power to the wrong pin. And usually that happens in a patch bay or a miswired cable. The next myth is that dynamic microphones are not good for vocals. This is not true at all. Dynamic mics have been used for decades on vocals, SM7s, SM57s, SM58s, RE20s, 421s, 441s, you name it, these microphones have been used on thousands of records for decades upon decades. I'm talking into a dynamic mic right now, I use an SM7 for the podcast, and I have for years. Since very early in the podcast, I've been using an SM7, and it's, I mean, it's a broadcast standard on voice, it's used on tons of rock records, tons of metal records, I mean, it's just a myth. The next one is that condenser microphones are better for vocals. Again, this is kind of the same as the last myth. They're common for vocals, but that doesn't mean they're better. The best microphone for the vocalist is the one that fits the music and fits their vocal the best. The next myth is that the best type of condenser microphones have flat responses. Now this is a totally false misconception in my opinion. In fact, really flat microphones often sound pretty boring, okay? There are some flat microphones that can sound truly amazing, but that's usually only if that's paired with the sound that you want sounding equally amazing and you don't want it to be changed that much. But truth be told, how our ears hear things and how microphones hear things are very different. So when we see flat That doesn't always equate to sounding flat to our ear, if that makes sense. In fact, I really like when microphones have kind of a signature thing because it becomes a huge time saver. You know this microphone does this thing really well, I either like it or I don't, I can decide that in a minute of putting it up. Whereas if you have a bunch of microphones that all sound kind of similar or they're all kind of flat, you might have to like EQ them more or do this or that to get them to sound more unique or special. That's no fun to me. I would rather have a microphone have a more distinct voice to it. And when I put it up, I kind of immediately know, yeah, that's it. Now, some people might mistakenly think when they see a high lift on a frequency response graph or a low bump or whatever it may be, that that's some sort of EQ circuit within the microphone, and that's not always true. Again, the way a microphone sounds is a combination of all the parts. The element, the materials, the size, the tensioning, the head basket, the circuitry, the transformer, the power supply, the tube, the, I mean, all of that is how this microphone sounds. So... Sometimes a capsule will just be brighter naturally. Sometimes a ribbon will just be darker naturally with no EQ. Recording everything super flat with super flat mics really just means you're probably going to have to do a bunch of EQ later, which is less natural than the capsule circuitry just having that sound, right? It's like trying to make one snare drum sound like a different snare drum with EQ is not as natural as just using a different snare drum All right. here's another myth, that some microphones have a better reach than others. Now, I'm gonna call this mostly false, but it's kind of a problem of terminology. Microphones have different designs and different polar patterns, which contribute to how they pick up sounds, of course. Talked about how omni microphones pick up sounds from all directions, cardioid microphones pick mostly from the front. But, say, parabolic microphones, like what you see at sporting events, Pick up sounds very focused in front of them and sometimes far away because the parabolic dish focuses the sound into the capsule and blocks outside sound. The microphone itself, the actual element, is not reaching farther into the football field. That parabolic dish is aiding in that effort. Now, some microphones are more sensitive to others, and different polar patterns do sound, to some degree, closer or farther, but it's not really reaching, it's more about what it's not showing you. For example, a shotgun microphone is not necessarily reaching in farther, it's just blocking out sounds from the sides more. So maybe the best analogy I can give for this is like looking at a photograph, okay? If you take a big photograph of a group of people and you crop it to just the two people in the middle, you didn't really zoom in. You just cut out the other stuff. The photo didn't necessarily get any farther into that shot. You just cropped out the other stuff. So that's kind of, I think, where this myth comes from, is that certain microphones reach farther into the room or out in front of them and pick up more But that would be almost like the equivalent of a zoom on a camera, and it's not really what it's doing. It's just that certain polar patterns and certain mic designs are better at blocking out other stuff, which can make it seem more focused onto one thing. Here's another one. Large diaphragm condensers are for vocals and small diaphragm condensers are for instruments. This is definitely not true. You can use either for either application. In fact, I love using small diaphragm microphones on vocals. I love using large diaphragm microphones on instruments. There's nothing wrong with using either for either. And it's kind of ironic, actually, that if small diaphragm microphones tend to have more accurate high-end and sometimes less colored high-end and better off-axis response. It's kind of surprising that we don't use them on vocals as much. I mean, they still have proximity effect. They still have clarity like other condensers. Like, why aren't we using them more often on vocals? You know, I really don't know. I would say the best answer I have for that is that most mic manufacturers know that people know this myth and therefore don't really bother designing small diaphragm microphones for vocals. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Kind of funny. Another myth is that ribbon microphones are not good for acoustic instruments. This, I don't really know exactly where this comes from, but my guess is that it comes from the fact that ribbon mics tend to be very low output and can get noisy when you have to crank up your preamp, and ribbon mics can be a little bit dark, and for some things that might not be what you want. But active ribbon microphones like the AEA N22, it's fantastic on acoustic instruments. It has plenty of output level as well. You can also use a device like a Cloud Lifter or the SE Dynamite to add inline gain to a passive ribbon. It's a great option in my opinion. Opinion. using ribbon microphones on acoustic instruments. I don't know why people don't do it more often. Okay, You look at someone like Tucker Martine, who records a bunch of like folk rock bands and stuff, like the Decemberists. Guys like that, he uses N22s all the time on acoustic guitar. It sounds great, it sounds smooth, and cool, and unique, not just like another condenser on acoustic guitar sound, okay? Don't be afraid to use ribbon mics on acoustic instruments. All right, the last myth, is not really a myth, but I'm gonna call it a misconception, is what's the best microphone for hip-hop vocals? (laughs) So this is a funny quote that me and some of my audio friends like to joke about because it's such a common question we get with students or interns or whatever, what's the best mic for hip-hop vocals? Uh, And it tends to be a thing where uh, young guys coming up, especially guys who want to do hip-hop or pop or whatever, they hear about their heroes using these microphones or those microphones, and it's super overwhelming. And so a natural question to ask is like, well, what is the best mic for hip-hop vocals? And, you know, you tend to—we don't want to look like jerks, but you tend to laugh because it's like, man, the longer you do this, the more you realize there's no such thing as the best mic for XYZ it just doesn't exist it it all depends on the source it all depends on what the singer sounds like or the or the rapper or the you know the vocalist the speaker the whoever's reading the audiobook you know what i mean like it all depends on the source and you can't just buy one microphone and say this is going to sound perfect on every vocalist right now If you are the rapper and you have a specific way that you sing or rap, you can probably find a microphone that fits your voice really, really well. It might take some experimentation, but that doesn't mean that I know what that is, right? Because ultimately, it still depends on your subjective interpretation of your voice, right? If you came into the studio and wanted to rap on a song that I was working on and I put up a microphone that I think sounds good on you, you might not like how it sounds on you. So there's that as well. And it's just kind of funny. Like that that joke we pass around a lot because it's it's oddly common that question what's the best microphone for hip hop vocals anyway so i just thought that was kind of a funny aside and and but but with a good point that there's no such thing as the best mic for xyz again there's no such thing as the best mic for acoustic guitar or the best microphone for snare drum or the best microphone for overheads the best microphone for for trumpet it all depends on the context it all depends on the source that you have to work with the room you have to work with and ultimately it's why it's difficult right if it was easy if if we enjoyed Just knew oh well this is the best mic for hip-hop vocals like if we just knew you know what i mean we wouldn't i wouldn't even have this podcast i wouldn't need to audio engineering would be way easier if it was that simple right like it would be so much easier to just pick oh that's that's the ultimate goal we just save up we get that mic and we get great sounds that's just not how it works it's kind of like asking what's the best paintbrush for painting for making great masterpieces you know it's just there's really no such thing you're you're dealing with a very different kind of you can kind of get there with some suggestions like, okay, U47 is common, U87 is common, U67 is common. It's like, but you're going to go buy vintage ones or are you are looking for a clone? And then you get into like, what's the best clone of a, you know. And, and again, there's not even really a good answer for that. What's the best clone of a U47? Right? Because some people's idea of what a U47 is supposed to sound like is different than other people's idea of what a U47 is supposed to sound like because different U47s sound different across the years depending on the material they used, depending on the capsule they used, depending on the transformers, depending on how aged the microphone has gotten over the years. You know, Has it been well-maintained or has it been kind of corroded over time? Have lots of people sung into it? Has it been around smoke? All kinds of factors, right? So it's kind of a fool's errand, right? That's not the type of question. Uh, I, I give a similar lecture to some students here locally um, once a year about microphones, and I always start with what's the best microphone for hip-hop vocals? And you know, I, I eventually get around to the point of like it doesn't exist. It's not that's not the right question. The right question is, what is the best microphone that will fit this source in the context of the production I'm working on that will accomplish what we want. So, there you go. I hope these episodes have taught you some things about microphones. I hope you've learned more than you ever wanted to know. I hope it's helped you realize that it's not so simple as what's the best microphone for hip hop vocals, that microphones can all be good at something. It's just a matter of finding the best match they're one of the most important tools in the entire record making process and in my opinion, they make more of a difference than any mic preamp or converter or cable. It's so essential to learn about microphones, see how different microphones sound, A-B test them on the same source, compare and contrast. What are they good for? What are they not so good for? I just wanted to give credit and shout out to a few sources for the history portion of this podcast. First is Neumann's website, neumann.com. Shure's website, shure.com. The Los Sendero Studio page, that's Los darosstudio.com. Mary Bellis, the author of The History of Microphones on ThoughtCo.com. All of these websites are very helpful uh, to me in organizing the timeline and noting some of the most significant events in the history of microphones. As always, thank you for listening to these podcasts. You can always send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, recordingloungepodcast.com, and the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com recordinglounge If You're not subscribed. You're missing out. You got to go and subscribe to my YouTube. Uh, help me fight off the, uh, the haters in the comments. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Leave a good comment. Subscribe. Give me a thumbs up on my videos. And as always, if you have suggestions, uh, ideas for podcast episodes, for YouTube videos, send them my way. Just send me an email or fill out the form on our website. Take it easy. We will talk next time.